0: Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydaton.com. Malachi chapter 3. I'm so excited to dive into this. I just want to jump in here. Malachi 3 verse 1. Now, obviously opening this passage, some of you are starting to tense up. Pastor's going to talk about giving today. We see, oh, I give. It's about giving. So I I want to give you a good exegesis, if I can, on this passage, because I believe this passage has been uh, misused, misunderstood. And I honestly, I think in the modern realm, we misunderstand a lot about the Bible and salvation. We understand when Paul wrote in Romans 10, nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. He's not talking about of sinners prayer for America in 2022. He's talking about when you're standing in front of one of the emperors like Nero, who's lining Christians up and he's asking you to confess the emperor as Lord. He said in that moment, if you'll confess Jesus, you'll be saved. See, there's a little difference on the price we pay today. We think we just repeat a prayer, we're saved. But Paul is literally talking about when your life is on the line in that moment. See, that changes everything. Imagine everybody today, if it cost you, if you stood in front of some tribunal and they say, you got to bow down to the emperor or the president or the king or whatever. And if you don't acknowledge him as the all powerful savior, we are going to cut your head off. Or we're going to relieve your body of its skin with this flame that's flaming right here next to it. What would you say? Now, everyone of us in here is like, "Oh, we'll say, yes," but we don't know. I feel I'm pretty bold, but I can't sit here and say 100% that you don't know. But I'm, I pray that I would have the backbone and the guts to do Romans 10, 9 and 10, brother Brett, when it costs me some day. See, giving is the same way. Because sometimes in our giving, we think, well, I can't afford it. I can't admit But that's the point. People say, I might lose. You might lose it all. You might be on the street. Then what? Are you still going to serve God? Because that's what matters at the end of the day. What we live or die or what we have, that's irrelevant. The thing is, are we going to stay faithful to the Lord no matter what it costs us? And you see, we just have this Americanized thing that we try to read the Bible through. we got to be careful to make sure we're understanding what the Word of God says. Because we can apply modern meaning to things. But, but don't mock it because, you know, we, the people say, well, see, they're the Bible. But you see, remember, the, the atheists and the intelligentsia, just 500 years years ago believe this world was flat so that's that's why we we don't listen to people who don't believe the word of god but by following the science 500 years just a scant 500 years ago in the course of human history right we'd be like the earth is flat come on you're crazy if you believe anything different than that see that's science we're following the word of god it's different it's different it's different, it's different. He asked for all of us. He asked for all of us. And you say, Pastor Eric, we're still at Malachi 3, verse 1. Can you please read it? Okay, here we go. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand? This is a messianic prophecy, promise. Who can stand when he appears? The people had grown weary of waiting for the promised Messiah. Where is he? Where is he? We're tired of hearing promises and not seeing any results. We're tired of praying and not seeing the results. We're tired. Where is he? And the prophet Malachi said he's coming. This is what the Lord gave to him. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who will stand when he appears? Why? Because everybody had turned their back on God. They grow weary and they're waiting. For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. I, I like one translation It says the launderer's soap. Who, who hates the launderer's soap? Dirty laundry. <laughs> who hates the refiner's fire? Dry wood. <laughs> he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. See, the priesthood was even corrupt. The priesthoods in the pulpit, pastors in the pulpit they were the, they were corrupt, it was all corrupt. They had all turned their back on God. They had all started doing things that were not in the covenant agreement between them and God. And they'd come to this point. And God said, you know, I am going to come. And I'm going to purify the sons of Levi. I'm going to refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, will be pleasing to the Lord. As in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you. For judgment, I will be a swift witness against sorcerers. Here's what they were doing wrong, right? Sorcery, horoscopes, witchcraft, transcendental meditation, virgo, leo, they were all up on that taurus they all, they all knew that because that's witchcraft against adulterers, against those who lie against those who oppress hired workers and his wages and the widow and the fatherless and against those who thrust aside the sojourner and they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. It turns out how we treat other people matters, right? (laughs) You better believe it. Verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob are not consumed for the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That, that's a powerful promise. Return to me and I'll return to you. That's a covenant, right? It's a covenant. My life, your life. But you say, how shall we return? Can a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? in your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So bring the tithe, the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. This is interesting. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing that there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil or the vine of the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the word, says the Lord of hosts. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, God, as we just kind of take a, a little bit of a deep dive into your word this morning, Father, that you will enlighten and open our hearts. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to our hearts. Change our lives right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone lay your hand on your heart and say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Help me to go deeper. Help me to follow after you harder. Help me to surrender all. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You see here at Destiny, there is a tension that hopefully is pushing you forward. There is a tension called discipleship. There is a call from heaven that's calling us to go deeper, to go further in the Lord. I love that when we have those moments of worship where it kind of it lulls at the end and then then Sarah comes up and says, you know, let's let's press in a little more. And I think that that's it, because we have this mindset where it's like, oh, next thing, next thing we're done. But the Lord is calling us past convenience. Can I tell you that a Christianity that fits your schedule is not a Christianity that's going to change this world? A Christianity that's convenient, I, I don't know if it can even save you, but a Christianity that's convenient is definitely not going to impact this country. You see, our God, he, He's an inconvenient God, to, to kind of borrow a phrase. He's not a utilitarian. He's not very pragmatic. He asks us to do things that won't make sense. He asks us to do things that don't add up to us sometimes, but He knows because He's God, and He asks us to do things certain ways, and our, our, our response to Him is saying, God, because you're God, and we're not. We're in with you. We're in with you. So this week, let me just get just give you the genesis of how I arrived at this today. I, I, I was, <laughs> you, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw this morning, I, I checked in and, and I had this, this song that's been on my heart and it's an old song. It's about, uh, it's a number of years old, but from a, an artist named Russ Taff, right? It, it, some of you may remember Russ. He's He's been around a while. He started with a band called the Imperials back in the day and, and had the song, I listened to the trumpet of Jesus. Well, the world, here's a different sound, right? That was a big hit. You know, uh, he went solo. He had this song like 1990, I want to say called table in the wilderness. And one, one night I was laying in bed and suddenly this song just came to my head. There's a table in the wilderness and the song is talking about how God provides for us when we don't think there's any other way, right? You're in the wilderness and here's a table and it's Spread with food, and it looks bleak, and it looks like, where is this coming from? And here's a God that shows up in your wilderness, in my wilderness, and He spreads a table, and He says, I haven't forgotten about you. Oh man. And that song was just wrecking me. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that's a Bible verse. Where's that at? And so I begin kind of looking and, and, and searching, and like, oh, it's Psalm 78. And I was reading Psalm 78, and I was like, well, this don't sound like where it's leading where I thought it was going at all. Like, this doesn't sound good at all. He's talking about Israel had turned their back on God, and the forefathers in the desert, they had rejected God, and they said, well, God brought water from a rock, but is he going to give us meat? God, where are you at? God, you've done this, but what are you going to do now, God? It's all about, what have you done for me lately, God? So where are you? And they asked a very insulting question of God. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? I know enough about the Old Testament, God's people, that when you question God's character, that angers him. When you question God's goodness, God's ability, remember Jesus is the one that said, Don't even take thought of what you're going to eat or where. I think a lot of our prayers for stuff is illegal. If you belong to Jesus, why do we need to pray for food or money or whatever? We don't need to pray for that. God already knows. At that point, he responds to our faith and our giving and, and all the other things, right? We don't need to say, God, because otherwise we're, we're, we're praying to the little blue guy in a lamp. We rub the lamp. Come on, God! You have three wishes, my child. What shall they be? That's how Christians many times treat God. That's what they think prayer is. That people tell me, I prayed for three minutes and I, don't, I run out of things to pray for. I'm like, what are you praying for things for? It's not why we pray. If you're doing prayer right, it should look like worship. Oh, I thought prayer was a chance to unload my never ending shopping list. Why? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Now there's times to make our requests known to God. Because I know somebody will surely come up to me afterwards with that verse. Make your supplications. Yes, but that's not the entirety of our prayer life. And I just so happened, in case you're wondering how I ended up in Malachi, I have a class right now on the minor prophets. And so I was doing a project out of Malachi. And all of a sudden, chapter 3 and Psalm 78 intersected. And I'm like, oh, I see it now. Because the book of Malachi is really cool because it starts off with a beautiful, poetic word from the Lord. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's chapter one. And the people who are hardened in their heart come back and say, how have you loved us, Lord? Chapter two, chapter three, return to me and I will return to you. How shall we return to you, Lord? See, it wasn't like clueless people. That was like deflective questions. They didn't want to obey. They knew the answer. You ever known someone who knows better? Come on, y'all have kids. And you you tell them to do something, and it's like they act clueless. I'm like, okay, how many times have we talked about this? It's like, oh, when you say clean my room, you mean pick up all the stuff off the floor. I'm like, oh, what are we? Come on, we... we? <laughs> We parsing paragraphs and sentences here? Yes, that's what it means. And God is just, He's calling out their corruption because you see, the issue here is not, not just their giving. What I want to do, I want to get behind the problem. I want to tell you why they were robbing God. The question is don't rob God, or, or the statement is not rob God, it's, it's why are they? So he calls out their sin, right? And God tells the people, he, he gives them all of this, you know, I've loved you and I, I, I'm calling out to you. And they're like, you know, how have you loved us? Which is like really an ouch. That's like, wow, I can't believe you're saying that to God. Because this is the God that like brought you out of slavery. Hello, Israel. God brought you out of your past. He brought you out of your sin, right? He brought you out of slavery. He led you through the desert. He took care of you. And now you're going to have the nerve to say, how have you taken care of us, Lord? Wow. I hate it when people say, wow, but it's kind of funny right there because it, uh, it fits the thing. You know what I'm saying? Wow. It's like a sarcastic. Wow. I can't believe it. Really, how could you how could you question someone's love for you like that? Yet we do. We still do today. So we give these resistance questions. Normal questions would have been fine. But this is asking something you already know about. And it's an attempt to deflect God, to delay obedience, and an attempt to even throw contempt on God. And God reminds them of something in the passage that we just read here. He reminds them that he does not change. He says, I am the Lord. And and I may be, I may be saying that wrong, maybe from chapter one or chapter two, but it's in Malachi. It's in part of this whole, this whole prophetic dialogue he's having. And he says, I am the Lord God, and I do not change. And you are the children of Jacob. Now, God doesn't usually call his people, the children of Jacob, but he does here because he wants to make a point. Jacob's name means what? deceiver. Jacob was a deceiver. He was the heel grabber, the supplanter. He was the one that was the Decepticon in this relationship, right? Here we have God. He does not change. And here you have Jacob, the deceiver. So God is saying, listen, I am the God that does not change. You guys are the shisty ones. God faithful, never change you. shisty. So the people had been waiting for the promised Messiah and they had become skeptical. This is relevant because it says in the Bible, it prophesies this in 1 Peter, that in the end times, there will become those that are questioned, say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise? And we will have the same thing on repeat, where people will say, we've heard about Jesus coming back since we were kids. When's it going to happen? We've heard about that. And the word of the Lord in the New Testament is beware, because he calls these people scoffers. Scoffers are typically people who used to know better. But for some reason, they chose to walk away. They chose to not believe. And they've become skeptics. And their skepticism and their cynicism has led them, just like it did in Malachi, it led the people to corrupt living. Looking for other ways to meet their needs. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. If God's not going to provide me fill in the blank, then I guess I just need to go do something about it myself. Beware. Beware. Trying to find other ways to meet their needs outside of God's plan always leads to disaster. So the Lord offers to return to them if he would return to him. In other words, repent of your ways, trust the Lord again, and he would reignite that relationship. But they disrespected God further in this passage by saying, how shall we return? And since God reminded them that they are of Jacob, right, the the hypothetical question is posed, can a man rob or really deceive God? That's really deceive might be the better word here. Can a man deceive God? God, you're saying we're shy. We're the children of Jacob. We own that. We know that. Can a man deceive God? Now, we're all familiar with the rest of this because the Lord says, yes, you can deceive me. Not in the sense that God doesn't see through stuff. But in the sense of our reaction and response to him, you've robbed me in the tithe and offering. You see, they were no longer giving or tithing because they no longer thought God was trustworthy. Again, I'm going to tell you why I give today. And in that, why we give. Because it says a lot about our heart. This isn't your normal typical sermon on, on tithing. I have a, I have a hard time preaching sermons on tithing, to be honest with you. But this one came to me. It unfolded like a flower, like a rose coming into bloom as the Lord just showed this to me. And I said, you know what? The best thing I want, the best thing I can show you is number one, God's word. But I want to show you how that relates to what we do today. And I want to show you how we go deeper in the Lord. And I want to show you it's not what you do, it's how you do it that matters. The people were no longer giving and tithing because they no longer thought God was who he said he was and their doubt and their cynicism and their skepticism about the character and nature of God had affected them at the very heart of their covenant. Because you see, when you inside internally, and you'll say it with your mouth long before you stop in your heart or but you'll other way around, you'll stop in your heart long before you'll stop saying it in your mouth, oh, I trust God, I believe God, but your actions will show what you really believe. How you live your life will show. Somebody, I heard someone the other day, it was awesome. They said, you know, and, and mine comes every Sunday morning and I hate it. Your screen time on your phone, does it pop up on Saturday morning or Sunday morning for you too? I was like, I don't want to see that on Sunday morning. I don't want to see how much I've been looking at that stupid phone. And then I get it times two. I get it on my iPad. Your screen time. My screen time was down on my iPad. Now part of it was I hid it for my grandkids, right? no games on that. No games this week. Screen time went down. If you want to know your screen time, you look at your phone, right? How about your word time? How about your Holy Spirit time? You know where you look for that? Your life. How much time you've been in the word? Look at your life. Look at your life. It reflects it. And so it wasn't that they were not giving. And remember, giving in the Old Testament was what? How many know it wasn't money? Do You know that? We we, we kind of we I know sometimes we try to co-op stuff and and, and I'm not saying tithing is wrong tithing is good and, and it's 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 a principle we're going after here today but no one tithed money in the Old Testament. You know what they gave? Produce, food, flocks. But remember that's an agrarian culture, right? Everybody had their own supply of food and you pretty much died if you did not. So we we kind of translate that to money today, right? Because there, there's a few hobby gardeners in here, I know, and and that go to our church. But most people, you aren't raising food for a living, right? You don't have a flock of goats in your backyard. You don't have. I know Jason, Sarah got a little flock of chickens, but I want to tell you, you, you we're not we're not the same kind of culture. But tithing was what it wasn't a tax; it was a tribute. That's why it started. God, you're awesome. Here's my tribute to you. And it accomplished the same things, right? It, 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 covered the priesthood so there'd be full-time priests ministering. It, you can go back, you can find the reasons. It provided a place where everybody could gather and celebrate the Lord, right? Uh, it, it provided a place for people to come together and, and be fed. If somebody was needy or hungry, they could, they could, they could be given food, right? So similarities to today are, are very much in line. It was just with food and produce and, and, and livestock back then but I want to get to the point of this because there's something very important to see here because when you are skeptical about the character and nature of God, it will affect you. It will affect me. And it's important that we don't do something. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6 real quick. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, that place of slavery. What's he say? Don't forget don't forget, it, it, this applies to destiny, don't forget where God has brought you out of. Don't forget the sin that he, even if you committed it last week, don't forget the blood of Jesus has washed it away. He has forgiven you. He has, he has not given up on you. So we have to be careful not to forget what God has done. That's important to the Lord. Therefore, you must revere the Lord your God, serve him, and take oaths using only his name. You must not go after other gods trying to fill your needs with other things, with other sources, other gods of the surrounding people. Look at Psalm 78.10. This, this is leading up to the table in the wilderness passage, right? They did not keep God's covenant but refused to walk according to His law. They for, they did, here's the word God again. What did they, they forgot. They weren't giving because they forgot how good god was they forgot his works and the, I, I don't know how you could forget the part the parting of the red sea if you saw that but but just but listen you and i both know this just judging human nature and human character today oh easy easy what have you done for me lately though god yeah we we're we're an ingrateful culture we're ingrateful We'll turn on people that have paid our checks, raised us, given us money. We'll turn on them. Suddenly everything's their fault, right? We had that propensity. Blame the government. Blame whoever. Blame them. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but dear Lord, help us. We've got to have some responsibility somewhere in there, right? They forgot his works and wonders that he had shown them. And then look at verse 19. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? You see where I'm at today? This is where it came to Malachi. Same stuff. Can God spread it out? How do we return to you, Lord? How have you loved us, Lord? So the deep, powerful meaning behind our giving does not lie in checking a box. We should never give because it's the right thing to do. That's, that's all you got. I guess that's a place to start. but I want to tell you no one ever loses weight because they should. Go to one of your good friends who needs to lose weight and say, you know what, you really should lose weight. Tell me something else I don't know, Sherlock. Thanks for that information. I got it. (laughs) Got it. Heard it. Understood. Hoorah. (laughs) Heard, understood, and appreciated. I got it. You do it because you get a vision of what you could be. Of a change, right? Same with the Lord. When you get a vision of the Lord, when you you've had in, in, an encounter with Him that changes you, suddenly giving is not about oh, "I got, a, got the tithes check today." Yeah, oh, hard. Seriously, I, and I say this in, in full sincerity. If that's your, if that's how you give, please don't. Seriously, please don't. Because the deep and powerful meaning behind our giving is not checking a box. It does not rest on some obligatory practice that we got to do. But there are rather powerful, epic, and history-altering reasons why I tithe, why I give. And I, I, I make it personal today. And these must be our motives for giving. And when we give with these motives, this is where the power comes. Remember, just like if you got someone with a a, a knife at your throat saying, confess Jesus or confess another false god or you die. It's the same. It's the same principle. I'm going to give even if it hurts me. I'm going to live for God even if it kills me. Right. That's what we're going after. And then that's what the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's what early Christianity shows us. Right. It's an all in surrender. The American in me wants to save back a little bit the American in me like only what I can afford God says flip the script just a thought here's why I give all scriptural reasons here I give because God has been good to me that's why I give all disclosure I may not have started that way Because when I was in my 20s, I didn't know very much. I thought I did, but I really didn't. Just to be honest with you, I'm not throwing shade on anybody who's in their 20s. I love you very much, and I can relate, and I know where you're at, and I love you, and I appreciate you, and and you know that. But I'll just be honest. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. When I was in my 20s, I didn't know very much, even though I thought I did. I had all the answers. All of them. Brother Brett, I had all the answers. And then something weird began happening. Dr. Chuck, the older I got, the less I thought I knew. (laughs) the more I say, you know, I don't know so much. Amazing. When my kids were little, the problems were As oh, I had parental advice. Oh, all you got to do is uh, the older your kids get, the harder the problems get to solve. Sure, you can look like a genius with a little one when you get teenagers. Come on, come see me then. I'll be glad to hear it. But at the end of the day, all I know is is 50 years into this thing of serving Jesus Christ, I know that God is good. And I can look back now with clarity on my life and say, God was good. God was good. God was there. God met me. God showed up. God forgave me. God broke chains off me. God made something new in me. God did something. And I can look back and I can confess. I don't know what your story may be, but I know God has been good for me, my friends. And when we say God is good, what do we mean? It's not just in what he's done. It's who he is. It's as stated by Malachi, he doesn't change. I don't know if you've ever been away from home for a while. I had this revelation when I went away for college. I went for four years to Missouri. And yeah, oh man, right there. I understand the state of misery, my friend. I lived there for about four and a half, five years, whatever it was. No, Missouri's a good place. I don't want to throw shade on any of my friends in Missouri. Because there's worse states. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I won't get into those. People calling out state names now. No, 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 no. Come on. God loves them all. Come on. But my first semester, it didn't take me long to realize. It's like, you know, like when I was fourteen, my dad didn't know anything. By the time I was twenty-two, my dad was a genius. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, my dad's really smart. <laughs> you know, my my dad, you know, my dad held patents uh, uh, for working on the space shuttle for legit. You've heard me tell those stories. My dad was a pretty smart guy, but I never, you know, I never. Oh, my dad don't know anything. Oh, but I went away for college and I came back. I was just, I was 18. I came back at Christmas time and everything was different. Some of you know what that means. That's one of the best valuable things about going away for college. And again, you know, some of you don't go away. That's fine. And I, I, that's, I get all that, but if there's a valuable aspect of going away, it's when you come home for the first time. And I have no way to really, it depends on your experience, what your home life is like. But my parents were good to me. I love them. I sat there and there was just a sameness about everything. Because being gone three or four months, it felt like I'd been gone like five years. But when I got home, everything was like the same. i was like, yeah, that's still in the same. Place. Oh, yeah, there's my room. There's my pillow. Yeah, that's still on the shelf. There was a sameness about everything and I sat there and I could just relax and be myself and I came to a conclusion. It just feels good. God is good just like that because there's a sameness. He doesn't change. He's not moving the the goalpost on you. He's not changing the rules halfway. He is the same. He's good. He's good. Shh. God says he loves you, he loves you. When he says he provides for you, he provides for you, he does. That's why it says surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. His goodness is not just in what he's done. It's in who he is. Therefore, when I give, it's irrelevant if I can't afford it. If I think, oh, my God, it doesn't matter because he's good. And if I lose it all, if I'm homeless next week, he's still on the throne and I'm still going to serve him. If I'm standing there with my life on the line, he's still good. And I still confess he's good. Come on. Just like some of the saints from the ages ago where they stood in front of the the executioners, where they tried to get him to recant. They said, you know what? He's still good. God has never done me wrong. God has always been there for me. He's good. So I don't I I don't even listen. I can't afford I can't what if I don't have that? that you're thinking the wrong way. He's good. He's good. He's good. A few years ago we had an opportunity to buy some property. Because I'm thinking, you know, it'd be nice to have a real church building. You know, we got this strip mall. Like to have a real building. And I remember praying, we had an opportunity and Chris, you remember we had that meeting and and we talked about it and it it had been a terrible thing for us and we didn't do it. But I remember in prayer time right here one day I was praying. And the Lord said this to me, he said, Eric, if that, if this building is all you ever have while you're the pastor here, am I enough for you? So I was thinking, I was trying to think American dream. Now we move up. We get this and we move up. And people, well, aren't you still in that building 20 years later? How come you haven't moved to a bigger building? That's what everyone does in America. You get bigger, better, bigger, you sell your small house and get a bigger house. Because the kingdom isn't the American dream. American dream has some negative sides to it also. That gripped me. What if this is all you'll ever see in your lifetime? what if next is for the next pastor who comes after you Whew. am i enough for you man that wrecked me that wrecked me god you're good you're good that's all i need to know i've plenty of pastor friends that getting more gray hair because of their building payments they got a nice building. Oh, they're sweating bullets. I worked one place. They had to have $60,000 a month just to pay the building payment. Big building. You got 100,000 square feet or whatever it was. It's a lot. Of, got a lot of facilities. 60000 a week to make it a month, something like that. See, I look at my little, our little payment here and I laugh. I'm like, ha, -ha. (laughs) Ha -ha." no pressure here, baby. Come on. This is like the limb from Apollo 13. It may not be much, but it's going to get us to where we need to go. It's going to come on. It's going to take us. It's what God has given us. And we're not hung up on that. We want to see God glorified and honored because God is good. That's good. I even throw Apollo 13 reference in there. That wasn't even in my notes. Come on, y'all. I give because it honors the Lord. Whenever we show honor to each other, to our parents, our children, the Bible talks about honoring our father and mother, right? We're moving in a kingdom principle. You give to people or persons whom you value. It's a tangible way to say I honor you. It's not saying you deserve this. It's not saying you need this money more than me. No, no, no. That's irrelevant. Cause sometimes when we give, we think, oh, they don't need that or they got plenty or we just gave to them a few. We, we, no, no, no. That's irrelevant. Giving is honoring. It's saying you are important to me. You matter to me. So therefore I give to, I give to others and I give to the Lord with that same mindset. I am going to honor the Lord. We could ask the same question. Does God need my money? Well, not really. But it's more about us than him. Certainly God uses us and he can use material things. But the point is our hearts, which is what God is after at the end of the day. The tribute, right? Of what God has done. Today, it's the same tribute for what God has brought us out of. What has God saved us from? What is God doing in our lives right now but we're free from? Think of all the things that God, we're honoring the Lord. And this truly was the highest insult the Israelites levied against God was, can God prepare a table in the wilderness after all they had seen? The people, Judah, which is all that was left by the time Malachi came, the northern kingdom was wiped out. Judah was all that was left. And Judah said, how has the Lord loved us? How has the Lord taken? How can we say that? Unless we don't really know him. I mean, we're talking about the God Israel. Israel, you saw God bring water from a rock. That's still there, by the way. I don't know if you've seen that in archaeological Saudi Arabian desert. The Islamic government put a chain link fence around it because they don't want people to prove the obvious. But before they did, pictures were taken. Y'all never seen this? There's a big stone altar. It's got ancient writings and drawings of a bull being like a golden bull, uh, like a bull, you know, that kind of bull, being offer, offered. And they believe that's where the Israelites had Aaron create the golden calf. Right? That's all there. That's all there. They're scared. They don't want anyone to go in there because they don't want anyone to prove the Bible true. But we don't need it. Burn it down. It's okay. But the rock there. Is split down the middle in the desert with sediment <laughs> where is the water there's no water here because it was a miracle that God did he split the rock still there they saw it and they had the nerve to ask and God give us food in the desert the lord is great and greatly to be praised Listen, there are many ways we can honor God. We honor Him with our worship. We honor Him with our obedience. We honor Him. It says in in Corinthians, we honor God with our body. We honor God with our giving. And it's all good. That's why Paul said, whether it's word or deed, do everything in His name to honor God in every single way. Why? Because He's awesome. He's too good not to believe. Too good. Number three, it's a built-in way to carry a repentant and humble heart. Giving is a built-in way for me to carry a repentant and a humble heart. For Judah, here in Malachi, the pride and selfishness led to their lack of giving. They gave prideful, ungrateful, arrogant answers to God. And the Bible says in the New Testament, just the opposite. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Our thankfulness expressed to God in our giving is what opens the supply of heaven. Do you hear me today? It's our thankfulness that is fleshed out in action. Cause we can say a lot of things with our words. We can say a lot of things and give lip service. But when you actually give something that hurts, potentially, you're showing that you have overcome an unrepentant, prideful heart. And I'm giving. I'm giving. It's interesting. In the story of the rich, the so-called rich young ruler who we call the poor poor young slave, actually is what he was. He was enslaved to his riches. This is a part of that story we don't talk about. He tried to come to Jesus with the foe. Humble heart, right? Hi, Lord, what must I do to be saved? I've done all your word. I've been a good boy all my life. Oh, how do I get eternal life? Jesus said, if you're serious, you'll give. Look it up. Oh, you want want salvation? Give. Give. Why? Because you're not paying to be saved. No, but giving reveals something about you and me. It reveals how serious we are in this world that revolves around money. How serious are we about what we say we believe? Because you can say anything. Come on, people sing about it. They rap about it all the time. Words are cheap right? People say whatever they want, they, but, but when you put your money where your mouth is, when you put the things that really matter, the things you treasure, where your, where your heart is there, where your treasure be also, or your treasure is there, your heart, be. Also. when you are offering it to the Lord, it is a way of saying, I am thankful. And you are proving, you're saying I'm thankful. And here's why I'm thankful. I'm not just spouting words like a lot of people do. I'm showing my thankful. That's why I'm saying I would advocate less talk, more action from the body of Christ today. I get I see people posting on uh, I don't want to go down that road. I would like to tell some of those people, how about you live it? Yeah, you look spiritual posting it. How about you actually do it? I know I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about those guys. I'm talking about the other people, not not the ones here. I give because it's a built-in way, also another built-in way to show I've overcome greed in my life. It's pretty important. First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People misquote this, the, the thunder out of this. Little, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money. See, People even want to cover up the heart <laughs> relationship there. It's not, it's not money. It's the love of money. And that's what the that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. The love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced himself with many pangs. And may I tell you, he's not just talking to rich people. I know a lot of people that don't have a lot of money, and they love money. Oh, they love money. They love it. They have all kinds of excuses why they don't want to give it. Oh, I can't afford it. Can't do it. See in America that's the other thing. We like to blame rich people. (coughs) That was a bad impression of a buzzer. (coughs) There. Every one of you in here are rich. Every one of you in here are richer than ninety five percent of people on this planet. Now, if you want to come to me and say, Pastor Eric, I live in a refrigerator box in a dump yard like they do in Mexico City, Uh, we'll we'll have the conversation about poverty. If you have a roof over your head, you have heat. You have a car. You have a car? Do you have that magical television box in your house? (gasps) See, we're talking stratosphere items for 95% of the planet. We have a lot. We have a lot, and if we're all like most Americans, we're busy gathering more until it builds up until the point we have ourselves a little garage sale. I have so much stuff; I have to sell my old stuff, and I and I'm, I'm chintzy on that too, right? I haven't ridden the bike in thirty years, but I still want fifty dollars for it. Hey, how about you load all this in the? truck and take it to the dump. That would be, that'd be the best thing you do for your neighbors right there. Just get it out of your house. Come on. (laughs) Greed is rampant today. Money is the God of so many. And that's why giving is so liberating. You want people to think you're crazy. They don't know the Lord. Talk about Jesus coming again and then say, I give, I give a percentage of my income to the church. Those two things will make people think you are nuts. If you don't believe me, test it this week. You work a secular place of employment, right? Uh, You you could say that here and we'll all agree and say amen, right? But I'm talking a secular place of employment. Go and say, hey, I want you guys to know Jesus is coming back again and I give a chunk of money to my church every single week or month or whatever, eh, eh, all the time. It'll be crickets, I guarantee you. And someone like, you do what? That's crazy because the spiritual things don't make sense to the unredeemed. They're not going to understand a lot of things you tell them because they're blinded. The Bible says they're blinded. One thing I want to caution you with is your with your giving. Is never become impressed with how much you give. I'm not even gonna get up here and say, you need to do 10%. That might be a great place to start, but we're in the new covenant. We're not under the, the tithing thing, even though Jesus endorsed tithing, but under the new covenant, we see it in Paul writing in Corinthians. He talks about, you know, give proportionally. Give over generously that, that, that phraseology is used. Some say well, what's, what's over generous. Like your giving should make you say, wow. Ouch, that may hurt a little bit. That's that's the level I think we should go for, but I I don't know that there is a certain level, and you may be shocked to hear me as a pastor say that. Uh, If you're a 10% giver, that's fantastic. Like I said, I think that's a great place to start, but I would just encourage you to be generous because I think that's probably more New Testament. What does generous look like for me? Paul says it's proportional. Paul says it's regular. Right. It's regular. It's proportional. We could dive into first Corinthians 16 on another time. But that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Paul commended the believers, said you, you you bailed the Macedonian church out. He said, I couldn't even believe how much you guys gave. And then the Macedonians gave and they were like poor and they were I may be misspeaking here, but I'm just flying. OK, they, we, we, we this dirt poor church blew Paul's doors away. But all oh, they gave, it. I can't believe you guys gave that you guys don't have that much money. And he never said, you shouldn't have done that. You should have put that in a CD. Well, you you should have put that in a bank account and saved it. He never said that. He said, you did right. It's awesome. But never become impressed. Never look at your giving statement. Say, Wow, I'm giving that much. I just want to caution you on that. Because I've seen the, I can't tell stories because there's too close proximity, but I want to, I've seen people go into downfall. I've seen people become cynical. I've seen people uh, lose out with God or lose out with what, you know, just because they became enamored with what I give that much. Well, I ought to be able to be careful because you're defeating the reason to giving. That's humility. It's not about the church. It's not about the pastor. It's about your heart before the Lord. I just move on right here. I'm wrapping here. Number five. I don't see. I normally have three. I have five to this week. So. It proves that God's word is true. I give because it proves God's word is true. Like what David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I've never in my entire life gone without a job. Ever ever, ever, ever. If I lost this job tomorrow for some freak weird reason, I would have a job the next day. I guarantee you may not be doing this, but I will find me a job and I will work the thunder out of it. I may get two of them. A part of that. You could say, well, you're, you're resourceful. You're, no, but part of it is I trust the Lord, the Lord. Here's the deal. He'll provide for me. He'll provide. When I started this church, I was a landscaper. I dug ditches. And it was fine. God will always take care. God asked you. He asked me in this passage. He said, test me in this, right? We're all familiar with Malachi nine. Test me in this, says the Lord. Now, isn't that unusual to you? Because what was the problem with the Israelites? They... Tested God. Jesus told Satan, you shall not put your Lord, your God, to the test. So which is it? Should we test God or not test God? Because here, God is saying, test me. And Jesus said, don't test God. But further back in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, don't te- put me to the test. What's the difference? Oh, good question. You see, there's a big difference between faithful testing in faith less testing this is why jesus told the pharisees who were saying you're god let me see these signs and wonders he said it's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for signs but in the book of acts chapter 3 chapter 4 we see the early church saying god do signs and wonders among us and god responded that why because there's a difference in the faithful putting god to the test and the faithless wanting to see, yeah, so it's a sign, God, come on. Or Satan testing Jesus, just trying to, he'd had no faith in Jesus. Big difference. So the Lord is saying, put me to the test. And what it is, he's inviting you and I to step out in faith and see who he is. Because you see, God wants to offer you this. He's offering you an invitation to trust his word. He's offering you an invitation to act in faith because you see at the end of the day, this whole thing's about faith. Whether you're giving Jesus your life, whether you're getting deliverance, whether you're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, whether you're giving offerings, it's all about doing it in faith. It's not about checking boxes. We've said this a thousand times in this room. It is about our attitude and heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to have faith in him. God loves it when we believe him. And he's offering us an invitation to put his word to the test. Not out of people saying, Well, if God, if I see it, I'll believe it. No, no, no. Kingdom is just the opposite. You believe it and then you'll see it. That's not how it works. I know we like seeing that laid out in advance, but God's saying, mm mm. Anybody can do that. <laughs> Anybody can do that. Can you believe it? And then you see it. Are you willing to take that step of faith? Because you see faithless testing. Ask God to make the first move. It delays obedience. It's people trying to spiritualize it. Well, I, I laid out a fleece before God. Well, who do you think you are? Gideon, we don't lay fleeces out. That's not New Testament theology. Why would I lay a fleece? I don't need to lay a fleece. The living God's inside of you now. We don't have to lay fleeces. I like, stop fleecing. Oh, yeah, you're fleecing God. Maybe that's it. We're fleecing God. Don't <laughs> you know, play on words. Find excuses not to believe. Well, I waited and I thought if that little red bird lands on that tree, then that's God's sign for me to do it. And if what? Come on. So I'm saying we got some rabbit foot Christianity going on here. Like we pull the rabbit's foot, rub it. Like okay, God. I said in Jesus name 10 times and a red bird landed on my feeder and that sign I know you're with me. I hear people say stuff like that. Not you people, of course, other people, okay? Got this rabbit's foot Christianity. Stop. Faith sees, there's nothing in front of it and faith believes it. I don't need a fleece. In fact, every sign of everything on the, might be going against me and I'm still going to believe God. God called George Mueller, the great evangelist back in the day, right? Maybe you've heard his name. He built orphanages and he did stuff and he was building this next project and God God, just spoke to him in prayer. said, I want you to build this orphanage and I got this plan. And so he walks out He's like, okay, God, he's like, uh, thank you. This is a big project. It's, it's scary. And this little kid runs up to him and gives him a penny. and says, Mr. Mueller. He said, I want to give this towards what God's telling you to do now. And here's George Mueller. He's like, this he goes, Thank you, Lord. This is confirmation. I see most people, you'd, you'd prefer the check of 10,000 in your hand. Oh, that's confirmation. Well, that's Confirmation. So we can have great faith, a penny, a penny will say, God's good. God takes care. God's got me. So this is what I'm after today. This is why I'm preaching this. I want to come and just pray with every single person here that you've doubted whether God is going to come through for you or not. Hear me today. Don't miss this. Don't think this is some tithing sermon. This is for everyone today who you have questioned whether God can come through or not for you. And in some cases, it's affected you, it's messed with you, and it's affected how you give, how you live. how It's affected you because deep down, you have doubts on whether or not God is going to come through, whether God can really take care of you. And I am after your doubts today. I want to see them broken off like the chains falling we sung about just a little bit ago. Listen, you've hung with me this long. I know I've gone a little later than normal today, but I want to tell you this is so important. Because some of you have been struggling with some doubts. You've been struggling. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness for me? I am here to tell you, yes, He can. And we're going to we're gonna get, even if He slays me, I'm going to serve Him. Even if it costs me everything, I'm going to serve Him. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at destinydayton.com.